Minaka and Talo Falava. I'm Tasha, currently based in Suva, Fiji, and I dream for all of my eight children to be history changers, to succeed and prosper in life in everything they pursue for their futures, academically, professionally, in sports, in creative spaces, and even entrepreneurship. This is Vossa, supported by the World Bank in the Pacific and PNG, hearing from amazing Pacific humans about what makes us tick, what challenges us, and what the future looks like in the communities, countries, and region we call home. Today, it's all about parenthood. This episode, we speak with Georgina Kekea of Solomon Islands, Reverend James Bagwan of Fiji, Latuto Manga in New Zealand, and we're joined again by Irene Abbock and Ghislaine Nauni of Vanuatu, who share their reflections on parenting. And we hear from Pacific listeners about their parenting approaches and dreams for their children. The Rock is someone that does this, hey, go and do the lawns now and don't even look at me. Hurry up. And you don't even say please or thank you. Just go, hurry up, because I'm the boss. I told you to do that. Why are you taking so long? Move. So The Rock is a person that has authority. Trained in educational psychology and teaching, Latu Toomanga is a passionate advocate for breaking cycles of trauma to parent in loving, nurturing ways. In his Talanoa sessions with Pacifica parents and guardians, Latu draws on three types of parenting, the rock, the paper, and the tree. The paper is the person that says, hey son, it's time to go home. Oh dad, can I have, a, can I have five more minutes? Oh son, we have to get you to bed and we have to feed you. Oh, can I just play 10 more minutes? Oh, okay. Oh, Dad, can I have a chocolate too? Oh, okay then. So that parent, who is the, who's the parent? It's the child. <laughs> the child is telling the parent what to do. They call that parent paper or permissive, the permissive parent, because they can't, they can't give an instruction and carry it through because they want to please their son or daughter all the time. And the last parent style is the tree. The tree is planted in the ground. Their roots are strong and firm. No matter what the weather, it will not move the tree, but the tree goes with it. So the tree is able to negotiate, able to listen, able to be there, able to say, can we talk about that and see how we can make a better plan, me and you together. So they are helping the child to understand situations, problem self plan, make good decisions. They also are there as a mentor, a role model, but at the same time, they can talk through things that are making the child angry. So that parent is present, is uh, giving quality. So we all aim to be the tree. You can move from being a rock paper to a tree. I think you, you move, but it's best if you can Keep growing in yourself. So the eldest is 19 and the youngest is six. So five boys, three girls, juggling work, been through uh, two relationships and now with the third one, but all is well now. Uh, so it's been quite a journey for me and my children. Meet Georgina Kekea, who spoke with me from Honiara and the Solomon Islands. A respected journalist and like Tasha, a mother of eight, 
Georgina started out from the get-go as a working parent. In the media, we work long hours, we work antisocial hours, and there's still this implication that uh, mothers should be the ones at home at 6 in the evening and, you know, making sure dinner's ready, have the kids uh, food, and then go to bed, that kind of thing. But sometimes at 6 in the evening, I'd still be working or even, uh, you know, my shift started at 6 in the morning. I leave the house around 5 a.m. and, yeah, work real long hours. So, uh, you know, you get uh, stigmatized. If you've been following recent developments in Solomon Islands, Georgina has been an absolute cornerstone of reporting out of Honiara. Thankfully, well before all these events occurred, she sat down for a chat with Vossa. Like many working mothers, Georgina has faced stigma for not adhering to gendered social norms, but she has persevered. I was sort of an independent kind of person. And I don't really have my family supporting me, uh, though they were there, but not in a sense where they come and look after the kids and you know, do all those kind of things. I tend to look after the kids um, myself, like I have a house girl, like we'd say in the Solomon Islands. And in the event where there is no house girl, then my partner then would look after the kids uh, while I go to work. Where did this independence come from? Georgina credits her own mother. She used to work in the bank, all our life, especially when we were kids growing up. And one thing that stands out, especially for her, it's like time, time is time. You know, when it comes to time, um, she'll be at work half past eight. She'll be at the office already by eight o'clock, you know, that kind of thing. And she always tried to enforce uh, these values in us. And we grew up in that kind of Um, setting where time is definitely time. Reflecting on her upbringing, Georgina also acknowledges where she has learned to take a different path as a mother, prioritizing quality time with her children. Because she used to work um, that when it comes to the personal relationship that we had with her, it was not really quite there because she's, you know, always working and, you know, work is a part of her life. She also works hard to combat the gender stereotypes she has faced by raising her children as equals. There's no, uh, or because you're a boy, so you do this, or because you're a girl, you do this. No, everyone has an equal sense of responsibility. Like when it comes to washing the clothes, you boys have to wash your own clothes. So trying to uh, keep an open mind and also encourage them to understand there's no sense of difference between the different uh, gender, like everyone has a responsibility. It's work that needs to be done. It has to be done. Parenting is a topic that invites a lot of scrutiny and judgment, especially in the communal settings of our region. Georgina keeps it real with her children. In a community kind of setting, I hear what people said about me, especially with my kind of parenting. But uh, at the end of the day, I will just say to my kids, don't, don't you know, uh, focus on what other people are saying. But at the end of the day, I usually have, um, you know, talks with my kids where I usually let them know why I make, make the decisions uh, a certain way. You, you will have certain disagreements coming from outside, but at the end of the day, what happens in this house is how it should be done. So, yeah, just common sense. So what did mom say? Common sense. With her common sense approach, 
For Georgina, it's about adapting to change while staying true to our values. I believe the onus is on the parents to ensure that the kids, despite all that is happening, they are still the values, especially that uh, has to be instilled in our young ones. If we lose our values and then we lose ourselves, things have changed, but the values remain. In a relationship, Georgina's common sense approach also applies to role sharing with her partner. So he doesn't give pressure on me. Oh, you need to do this, you need to do that because of this. No, he just accepts that I have also other responsibilities with my other kids as well. So there's this understanding of the uh, of each other and the roles that we play and acceptance as well. Georgina knows too well the judgment that Pacific societies can place on women as mothers. And I was like, okay, that's that's the kind of thing that we get, the stigma that we receive, especially from people and what they see. And it really affects uh, you as a person. They don't really understand what happened uh, and the issues that you face behind closed doors. Uh, so you just tend to grow thick skin and say, okay, uh, this is how we do things. So accepting uh, people the way they are, uh, not really making judgments on them. Uh, it, I feel that it really works. Cutting through the pressure not only of parenthood, but specifically as a mother, Georgina focuses on acceptance, quality time and communication with her children. But when you're able to like enjoy your career or even to excel in your work, by having an understanding uh, partner or family. And as I've mentioned earlier, uh, the quality of time is more important than the quantity of time. So whatever time we spend with the children, whether it be one hour, two hours or three hours, it has to be something that is worth it. True to her independent spirit, Georgina's dreams for her children are to do with self-sufficiency and building on the small successes of a disciplined life. As long as they are able to look after themselves, they are able to have a life that they're happy with, most especially that they're able to look after themselves. They're able to put food on the table, have a roof over the head, regardless of what sort of um, education they have. Even when you wake up in the morning, you make your bed and then you do your own thing. That's a success itself. So don't focus so much on the big things that you tend to forget the little things. As a formidable woman, professional and parent, Georgina is carving out her own path, staying true to the values she was instilled with and stepping beyond the norms of motherhood to raise children who can be self-sufficient, embodying the independence with which their mother raised them. Ali, greetings from the Republic of Palau. My name is Rolinda. I'm a mother of four beautiful children. What I would really like life to look like is them enjoying the pristine environment of Palau, the resources that I have enjoyed since childhood, um, the kind of fish that I've ate, um, the food that I've learned how to make, and understand who they are in the world. Um, and then also be part of preserving that culture, preserving that identity, and preserving that environment and teaching it to the next generation and the generation after that. Uh, Malin and I have uh, two children, a boy and a girl, or son and a daughter, we should say. In this day and age, they are growing very fast into um, 
adulthood. Reverend James Bagwan of Fiji, or Padre, as many call him fondly, is a literal Padre to two growing humans. For him and his wife, Maylin, parenting began as a unit and in a time of transition. For us, we had um, gone through um, uh, a miscarriage prior to Francisco's uh, birth. So uh, it was, uh, you know, something that we approached very carefully. Uh, so Malin's pregnancy was was something that we, we paid close attention to. It was also a time of generational transition. My father had passed away just uh, some months before Francisco was born. These are things you you keep in the back of your your mind as as you go through this uh, journey to parenthood and then through parenthood. For James, parenthood starts well before birth. I'm a firm believer of uh, you know childhood beginning in the womb. So I don't wait you know for the nine months for the child to be born. But you know nothing prepares you for parenthood. Nothing quite prepares you for the birth of your your first child. Nothing quite prepares you. We may all have ideas and notions of parenthood, but you don't know until you know. That lump in your throat when the baby's brought forth and is, is everything okay? Is the child breathing? Is it alive? Does it have all the fingers and the toes and hands and feet and all of that? Really the understanding of, of, of the vulnerability of life. For two parents, both working and studying, role sharing and family support is key. As a couple, as a unit, you know, the sharing of responsibilities um, came up pretty quickly. We were very fortunate to have our children's, uh, uh, particularly grandmothers. Uh, my mother lived with us uh, for many years uh, after the children were, were born, uh, even beforehand. Um, and so having that uh, support from extended family was, was very, uh, very important. James describes parenthood as an adventure challenging, and yet overall a joy. One of the ways he and his wife marked the start of this joyful, challenging adventure was in the naming of their children, gifting them with names connected to beloved parents, family, and friends. So all these names, you know, have have those deeper meanings. To honor the people we love, to uh, connect our families to, to legacy, and to connect them to a history and a world that is much bigger than just just our immediate family. And I think that's always very important because then our children are raised knowing, you know, that their identity is connected to so much. And I think that that really is part of the gift for our Pacific communities, that our wealth and our identity comes from our interconnectedness and our relationship with, uh, with the land, with the sea, with people. Padre reflects that parenthood really does provide a mirror of sorts, allowing us to look back on and appreciate our own parents. As you get older as a parent, and as you start to experience the challenges that you would have put your parents through, (laughs) especially now with with teenage children, you come to appreciate more and more what what your parents went through uh, with you. The values of his parents have grown clearer with time. Faith in action, engaging with the world, and the value of education. First and foremost, faith in action played a very important role. So it wasn't only about, um, you know, being raised in the Christian tradition. It was being raised in a Christian lifestyle. 
Secondly, my parents being middle class from communities that didn't have access by, you know, by birth to, um, to land and could not afford to buy land, chose to invest in us in a very different way. And, and that was by ensuring that we had a, uh, a wealth of experience of the world. And so they took their limited uh, resources and, and really invested in our, I guess you could say our, our non-formal education. Uh, placing a very strong emphasis on education itself so that uh, both my sisters and I had an opportunity to go and study abroad at boarding school, which itself is a different kind of being raised. Uh, but that was a sacrifice that my, my parents made, uh, you know, not being afraid to take out the bank loans and things like that to invest in our education because they said that was the only thing that they could give us. While many changes have been important and necessary, James acknowledges that it has taken some effort to change mindsets. And sometimes there would be a function that I, as a student body president, would have to emcee. And uh, sometimes you'd get some quite strong uh, comments from men who come from uh, very patriarchal communities and societies where they did not approve of seeing uh, someone in, in my role with a baby on his hip emceeing a function. When I served in a particular circuit or parish here in Suva, um, I was very fortunate because my senior minister, who I served under, um, was a grandfather with a, a young infant uh, grandchild. And so to have two church leaders, both with little children in the family, who let the children move freely in the church was quite a challenge to many of our, our parishioners because you know, they would say, you know, why is why are they letting the children walk up to the pulpit when they're preaching or go to the sanctuary uh, or up to the altar? And our response was, if our children don't get to be comfortable in the church when they're children, then we'll be crying about it when they become adults because they don't feel welcome. In his parenting life and work, James affirms the need for empowering children, keeping them safe while instilling values and support for them to explore and engage with the world. Empowering our children in being critical thinkers, perhaps now more so than ever with social media, to be willing to read more than 140 characters, as I like to remind my children. Um, I think those things are, are very important. For James, it's important to go beyond the bare minimum and to ensure that children flourish on their own terms. I still don't think there is enough of that. At the moment, we're focusing on, you know, the bare minimum, protecting our children, uh, ensuring that they survive more than focusing on, on flourishing. And I would really like to see how we can find spaces and opportunities for our children to do what our parents did in, in one sense, is to allow us to explore the world uh, and explore their own culture. This is a constant source of reflection. And many parents like James, one thing is for certain, he believes that our culture, identity, and indigenous knowledge are essential to parenting. And part of that is the age-old act of storytelling, o talanoa. The second is the talanoa and the stories. I was raised with the stories of all the different facets of my ancestry. Our children are a mix of Indo-Fijian, Itoke, Kiribati, Chinese, 
Samoan, Kailoma, and every other thing you can pretty much think of in the, in the region. And those stories are very important. So that's the other side, knowing and, and trusting in the stories, in the knowledge, uh, the myths and legends. James is an advocate for the earlier the better, making the most of children's formative years to instill important lessons grounded in their unique Pacific identities. By the age of seven to nine, their personalities have developed. But if you lay the foundation uh, with our children at that early age, as they grow, you just, that rootedness to to their, their identity, to their culture, to not be afraid to ask for advice and to ask those who know better, to know that there are matuas out there who can give them advice, uh, life lessons, faith lessons. That's still at the heart of our Pacific way. Um, there's still a lot of decolonization that has to take place for us to value that more. And I think that's probably uh, part of the unlearning and relearning that we, um, we need to do. James's dreams for his children are about love and meaning. I pray that my children will be happy in life and the path that they walk will be ones of gentleness and ones that bring meaning not only to their lives, but to the lives of others. I have seen enough in my world to note that you cannot equate financial and uh, economic success with joy and happiness. As I tell my children, um, you know, from one of my favorite songs, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. It's great to see men normalizing being present and active role sharers in their children's lives, starting from the womb. And what a way to reflect as well on the ways we take the love and sacrifices our parents raised us with into our own lives as parents, including asking ourselves how we might do things differently. Mawuro Mo, everyone. My name is Nadel Nenea, and I'm from the tiny island nation of Nauru, located in the Central Pacific. I've got four children, two boys and two girls. And in my mind, an ideal future for my kids is for them to be well-educated and self-reliant. I'll be there to support them with their aspirations. Whatever field they choose to pursue, it's important that they give back to society in some way and whenever they can. My dream future for them is based on them being healthy, financially stable, respectful towards others and giving back to the community in their own different ways. Latu Toomanga is a passionate advocate for breaking cycles of trauma to parent in loving, nurturing ways. Latu is of Samoan heritage and lives and works amongst the rich Pacifica cultures of Porirua, New Zealand. I think one of the key questions here that I'd like to put out there is, do you parent the way you were parented? Pretend I'm your son and you just hit me because I got cheeky in the morning. So then I now leave the house going to school. How am I feeling? So then the audience said they were a bit hesitant and they went, um, you're afraid? You know, yes. Um, you're scared? Yes. You're, um, you're tense? Yes. You're angry? Yes. So all these feelings are built into the child and then the thoughts of what's going to happen when he gets home. So then all of those are there. How can a child learn if they're in that situation? It seems obvious, doesn't it? A brain in stress is not open to learning. 
So when a child is in stress or they're upset, they automatically go to the brainstem because that's the survival. So if he's going to school in the survival brain, guess what? He's not able to think because his cortex will be shut down. So how can a child learn if they're in fear? So they go through the day and they might cause behavior issues. And then the teachers think they're naughty. And they go, but Latu, that's the way. That's the way we behave. That's how we were taught. And we did well. I'm sure we've all come across this attitude. Looking back, I'm sure I've lapsed into it too. Latu doesn't hesitate to engage, grounded in his own experience as a child and a parent. I always get challenged by it, but I'm okay. And I always say to them, I'm not. Everybody's different. We're all unique. So the way I responded to the trauma, it didn't go well. I only became happy with myself when I turned 50 and I'm 53 now I only became full I felt complete because I had worked through the journey of trauma and I say to them don't wait as long as I did don't wait do it now an important point Latu raises is that our cultures are rich with beautiful ways to love and nurture children they're all there to be discovered remembered carried on and built on I asked them, what is attachment? And they talked about attachment from a Balangi perspective. And I said, no, I'll give you an example. In the Tongan culture, when someone has a baby, there's four or aunties surrounding the mum, and they take the baby and they stay with the baby, all of them in the room, for about four days. And they just love on the baby. And I thought, what happens to the mum? Well, she has a rest, but she can see her baby being passed around. That's their ritual. And I said, see, the Balangi way of thinking is not the only way. Attachment for them is one person. Attachment for Pacific people is a lot of people. I'm just making connections because Pacifica and Māori, they are already on to the ways to bring up kids there is so much good parenting going on. It's just that the Balangi people are finally catching up to the way Pacifica and Māori have always loved their kids. The only reason is that today we have a change because people talk about Māori being at the bottom of the stack and then Pacifica, but that's because they have no knowledge of our own ways of practice. So let's remember how they did that and let's let's remember that there's not just one way. From Latu's experience, good parenting is possible, even when parents are not together. So my message is, if you can, be in really good relationship with your partner or ex-partner so that you can do the role of loving your kids. So when my ex-wife and I split up, I was really upset in the first two years and I couldn't cope because I had to regather as a single person I had to have the kids and to learn how to run the house as well as work. And so one day, because I was very negative towards my ex-wife. Latu's realisation sparked a change, to do better for the sake of his family and his children. So I said to her, come to my house with the kids and your new husband and let's talk. So when they came, the kids were in shock. And I said to the kids, I want to say to you kids that your mum and I We want to be the best parents. And I'm sorry that I've been treating your mum this way, but I want to say to your mum, I love you. 
I'm happy for your husband and you. Let's start again and let's do a great job. That was five years ago now. As for his dreams for his children, Latu sees them already coming true. And he continues to have ongoing Talanoas with them about their dreams, making sure that whatever they choose, they have a father and extended family who will support and love them through it. Uh, my dreams are coming true already. My kids are amazing. I just asked my son last night, who's 11. He sleeps with me, by the way. <laughs> and I said, uh, Levi, what, what, what do you want to do when you get older? And he said, I've told you many times, Dad, I want to be an artist. <laughs> and I said, yep, I know. I'm just checking in because there's such a lot, you know, there's so much out there. But the point here is that you're discussing it with them. Sure, we can talk about all the ways that parenting is done right. And as Latu says, there's a lot of good parenting happening. His openness, like that of all the parents we spoke to, reminds me it's important to learn from the hard, imperfect parts of parenting too. In his work, Latu connects Pacifica families with support and services they need, contributing his expertise on parenting, child development and well-being. It's his mission, work he feels called to do, alongside his all-important role as a loving father. My name is Pio Peter and I am from Papua New Guinea. I am 25 years old and I am not a parent yet. But looking at the parental perspective like most parents do, I would want my children to live a better life. For instance, I would want them to get a good education, secure a good job, have good attitude, understand and respect our cultural values, be a law-abiding citizen, and living a honest lifestyle free from corruption. Not everyone starts out in parenthood as a unit. Remember Ghislaine Naomi from our previous episode? As a young single Nivanuatu woman, Finding out she was pregnant, the next intimidating step was telling her parents. To tell my mom, it take me about an hour. I don't know where to start. Her reaction that time was in tears. And then the first question was like, am I a bad mom? I said, no, you're a good mom. And I am now in my adulthood, so I make my choice. But I just wanted to let you know that I'm having a baby. Irene Abbott, like Ghislaine, a single working mother in Vanuatu, having a supportive family has made a world of difference. A mother of two, her second pregnancy presented her with a challenge. I became a single mom the second time, this time with my son. And the day that I found out that I was pregnant, I needed to think fast. I needed to do something. I needed to step up and I had to push myself to do it. Because I, I don't see any other way out. Already working, Irene began seeking out employment opportunities to enable her to better support her children. In the final weeks of her second pregnancy, she set out applying for work. And in the weeks following her son's birth, received news of a job offer. But what to do as a new mother? I sent an email to the headquarters of the NGO telling the truth that, look, I just gave birth. I'm... My, my baby's one month old because I know that I'll be on three months probation. Please 
accept um, or create a space for me so that I can breastfeed my baby at the same time, have my baby there in the office with me. It's a big request, but I had to do this. But I promise this, that I will deliver a work of, of quantity as long as I have my baby there with me for at least that probation period. Irene's request found a supportive response from an understanding employer. I worked there for one whole month, having Killen, my son, there with me. Um, we have a bus that picks us up at 7.30. We go to work. <laughs> and that's us in the office. I Killen cries to change his diaper, breastfeed him, put him on my shoulder, and then back to the laptop, da, 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 and start to do some finance stuff. When I have meeting, I just roll him over, put him on his belly, and then have my meeting. <laughs> and to my surprise, um, our partners, when they enter the office, like I, I have to apologize to them first. Like, I'm so sorry. I have my baby at the back of the office here. You can see it's bed over there. And if it's anything, these people are actually, they're very happy to be here. They're, they're more calm. They're, you feel more human. But yet we're so focused for, you know, what the agenda of the meeting was about. Looking back, Irene is honest about how difficult and exhausting it was. I honestly can say that it's it's not all, you know, power and all of that. It's also very, very hard. It's so hard. But we made it. I, I can remember those days going back home. My back is sore. I was just so tired because... My, 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 my boots are sore and, and my, my mind is exhausted, but I, I still have to keep on going. I love that solo parents like Georgina, Irene, Ghislaine and Latu have overcome so much in their parenting journeys. And I can't help wishing that all that judgment and exhaustion wasn't necessary. Society can do so much more to be supportive of parents, as Irene says. If it's anything that I would like to ask the communities, when you see a single parent, please, we, let's stop this acting, um, just judging them. Let's, let's stop all these beating down and try to lift each other up. When we change this behavior, we're actually giving, we're giving the love and support, the energy to each other. And in, in the long run, it, that child, uh, you know, coming up from a single house family is, will still belong to the community because our future is our children. Irene's children are a source of strength. To be honest with you, my daughter parents me too. <laughs> um, I I have my days where I break down and she's telling me she, she she's going to hold both my cheeks up and look at me and be like, Mommy, it's okay. Everything will be all right. And that in itself is a manifestation of what I, my history, to be honest, because I tell her stuff like that. Ghislaine, whose daughter is a year old, is also appreciating the value of these formative months and years, a time when a child learns so much from their environment. In her parenting, she not only sets boundaries, but explains them. When I say no to something, I always tell her the reason why. Not to do it or not to touch it. Uh, she also has a good memory. I was looking through a uh, documentary, and it says that um, one is upwards, they're like tape recorder, like recording. So I was like, okay. So everything that we are saying and doing, she is recording everything. And then I realized. Hearing from Irene and Ghislaine, whose paths into parenthood are shared by many young women, 
really highlights how we could do so much better in our attitudes and actions towards young parents, single parents, and single mothers especially. We are only robbing ourselves of a future if we don't support children to get the best start in life. That includes support for their parents, families, and communities. On one hand, Pacific children face the triple burden of malnutrition, stunting, micronutrient deficiency, and maternal and childhood obesity. Looking at the prevalence of domestic violence and abuse, it is clear that homes and communities are not as safe for children as they should be. Projects like the World Bank's Human Capital Index are telling about the challenges that we know all too well. Parenting is hard work. It's not for everyone, and for many, it's a painful subject. And let's not forget that so many childhood and parenting challenges are rooted in poverty and inequality. On the other hand, like we've heard from our guests, there are so many wonderful Pacific ways of positive, loving, nurturing parenting. If you're parenting well, fantastic. Maybe this will add some gems and skills to your growing basket. And if you are struggling, here's a chance to make a new start. You deserve support too. I'm grateful to everyone who joined this Talanoa on Parenthood. Thanks to the World Bank in the Pacific and PNG for supporting such important conversations. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, follow us on social media, and share the podcast with your community. Sotatale, and hope you'll join us on Vossa when we talk oceans. There are some important things happening, led by trailblazing Pacific humans who all have a story to tell about the ocean. We'd love to hear your thoughts and include your voice in the show. DM your voice message to the Vossa Facebook page and tell us about a moment in your life that defined your connection to the ocean. Until then, take care and stay well. <laughs>